Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord, everyone. Hallelujah. The Bible talks in the Old Testament where um, when the priest went in, one day of year to the Holy of Holies on the day on the Day of Atonement, the robe that he wear that he wears he put on was like a something you slipped on. The Bible said it had to be without seam. It was cut some way so his arms could come out. He could do the ministering, but it had to have veils um, at the bottom. And there was one or uh, maybe two pur- purposes of this. So when he moved, the bells would ring. So when he was inside, the people couldn't see him. So um, there was, I believe, a reason for that. What he was doing was making atonement for this people for their sins. So the people outside could hear the bells and know that he was still moving, that he was still doing what he needed to be. I don't know, but uh, I just wondered, you know, we have heard this so much, but I I just wondered if that's what David had when he said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. All of a sudden, here it is when common man can come into his house and make a joyful noise. Because when you read passages that way, and I hope you never weary with me saying this, but God said, you do this lest you die. It was a command. God said, for whatever the reason, these bells had to be, at the end, there had to be a noise. So when he said this, he said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He said, come before his, uh, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. And then he ends this, with, he said, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Hallelujah. Let's ask God to touch us and touch our efforts today. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you once again. We thank you that we are able to be in your house to praise you again and love you and thank you for all your goodness and kindness that you bestow upon us. Touch us this day as we look into your holy word, for we want your will to be accomplished. Touch our hearts, our minds, Lord God. Minister to us, Lord Jesus, I pray. Strengthen us, anoint us, Lord God. Every bit of ministering, Lord God. We need you to touch us, Lord God. Anoint us, anoint our efforts, Lord God. Have your way this day, God, and we will love and thank you for it. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. The second series um, is as in the days. So the, I will read, but the, this month is called Hope for the Last Days. And today's lesson, the one that I have, is as in the days. 
So God has promised for his church, just and it's making a reference to Noah, and it mentions Lot, just as what was the responsibility was placed on them in seemingly, I would say, overwhelming circumstances to believe the commandment of God and how they overcame it. God has placed on his church. He said, I left, I'm coming again, and I will, re I will receive you unto myself. And so we know that this is what he said, and this is the Lord's words when he said, As in the days of Noah, so shall it be also as in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they was giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. The flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they build. Now, so, what this is, you know, and at face value, you would say, what is wrong with this? This is just life, and it truly is. This is just life. And what we hear is, Oh, Lord, this is just life as usual. In other words, this is what referred to as what we would say normal life. But that's a phrase that's being tossed about more and more. And it usually is what is normal. And Time Magazine did an article here a while back. In fact, it's been a few years now. that said there's no such thing as the normal life. So normally, but what I want you to notice is when they say there's no such thing as a normal life, what they're comparing it to is as the family structure. That's what they're, what God has ordained as a man and a woman, children, if it so be. That's what they're comparing it to. That's what's not normal to them. So the, it, it can be whatever. And I'm not here to throw rocks at any situation at all. But I'm saying that's what they are comparing it to. And the world in which we live in, we are so overwhelmed with situations. And this is my, this is my refuge. When everything goes wrong or situations overwhelm me, I can't just say, what do I do? This is what I do. I got to go to the Bible. I don't care, and I mean this not in a bad way. I don't care what life situations is done. I'm not going to let that push me in a closet somewhere and saying, oh my, oh my Lord, look what's happening. Because if Noah would have done that, he never would have built the ark. He'd have been 75 years into it and said, what's the use? I'm still looking at the same eyes that I looked at when I started. So it doesn't matter what society is doing and said there's no such thing as normal let them call that all they want. This is the benchmark. And so what we have to do, this is what God gave us is a chronicle of the time. So what we have to look at is what's not in there. He said they ate, they drank, they married, they given in wives, they did. All this thing, that was what was happening. That's why this Bible is not written to a time period. It's written to humanity. So he is saying this is what they did. What they did not do was take heed to Noah. So, and that's what we have to take notice. Now, we cannot let that discourage us. 
we still, as Christians of the, the Lord, what we believe, we cannot let that affect us. It's just, we have to affect literally, and I believe this, we have to try to affect with all that's in us, the, the, with all that's in our ability to reach those within our reach. You know, if I don't ever go to Africa, I can't touch the ones in Africa. We can give, and, and, I, and I'm not speaking against that, but my voice and my hands can't reach Africa. But I can reach and touch the ones that are around me. So I cannot, you know, and, and if you talk and you, and you preach and you minister and you understand what I mean by that to ones and they don't accept it, then I have to take the same spirit as Noah. You are not going to discourage me. I'm going to still get up in the morning and I'm going to grab my hammer and I'm going to work on the ark. And if I don't do nothing but save my wife and my sons, then I'm going to go to eternity satisfied. And I'll have to look at it that way. And I'm not trying to be harsh. I have to do everything I can do. And they have taken this. There is no such thing as normal. Well, so what? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Because I can't let that overwhelm me. Because if it did, then I would say, what use is it? Then I would start to doubt God. God, this book says you're in control. And then, uh, you know, what if Noah would have looked around and said, look at all the wickedness they are on this, on this earth that you created. And wow, look at what's going on. So, at first it seemed like things was peaceful. You know, how long when God created Adam and Eve and everything was, as we would say, fine, how long of time that was, I don't really know. I don't really know until it went wrong. But then we have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the Bible second says it like this. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come up before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, this is God telling Noah, Enough is enough. And this is hard, so to speak, to imagine. God, told, God goes to Noah, said, it's all come up. The end of everything has come before me, and I'm going to destroy them. For he says, in 13, the end of all flesh has come up before me, for the earth is filled. And I debated or not whether to say this, but I'm going to say it. The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. You may not be a student of Hebrew, but I promise you, you've heard of this word. Where it said the earth is filled with violence. The Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. That's just what that means. That's where they took this word from. Going all the way back 
where the violence was so bad that God said, I will destroy it. That's where they took their name from. And God said, it's filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God had had enough. This is what you call normal. It's not normal to me. I created a family and a family structure. All of a sudden, and that's why I'm saying the Bible wasn't written to a time period. All of a sudden now, I work with men that you can't say nothing. You can talk about how beautiful the sky is and they'll turn it into something unbelievable. Every imagination of the heart was evil. They only think of evil, of just there is nothing pure, nothing holy. You know, and, and if, if you think that's just fuddy-duddy, that is our society in which we live. That is it. And God said, I'd had enough. And I told Noah, you build yourself an ark because I've had enough and I'm going to put an end to it. And that, he, and that he did. So he took, he did this, he destroyed it. This was the analogy. But the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here is, you know, how hard would it be? You know, here is a guy that you can't, it's just his heart is evil continually. And here is a man that's saying, there has got to be a better way. And God is saying, I'll take him any day over this. Is God showing partiality? God is looking at the heart of the individual. God said, I will make a race, a humanity race of Noah. And he has found grace in my sight. So he takes and he does this. But the, uh, by faith being, the Bible says, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not, uh, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Now, the, prep, the, the preparation of Noah literally revealed the folly of them. Every day that Noah took and built this ark, went to work and built this ark, and really and truly, how weird did it look? You got this probably a flat piece of ground, and here is this humongous barge, being built in dry dock, and they said, what are you doing? Well, there's a flood coming. Okay, what's a flood? It's going to rain. Okay, what's rain? Well, instead of the water coming from the ground, it's going to come from the heaven. Okay, okay, Noah. You've been, you've, you've been, you've been away a little too long. The water's going to come down enough to lift this 450-foot vessel up. Wow. Dream on, baby. Dream on. But Noah just kept working. He just day by day, day by day. And the Bible says he moved with fear. He took God serious. He took God at his word. He believed the words that God spoke to him when it was, I just don't know the ridicule that man went through. When their imagination, their mind, their hearts was only evil continually, 
I don't see how the man did it. I'm telling you the truth. I'd be lost hammers because I'd be throwing them. You'd be trying to find the hammers all over the place. How could he, you know, I'm telling you the truth. Now, and I'll just throw this out there. We don't use this word much, but the Bible says this. That Noah moved with fear. This is to the saving of the house by which he condemned. The Bible says condemned the world. By Noah taking and believing God's word. That right there separated him from those that didn't believe. That right there was the dividing line. By Noah alone. That right there. I'm telling you. You you know I don't know how God's going to do this in judgment. Noah condemned the world. All those that called him a fruitcake and says it'll never happen. If I stand up in judgment and say I couldn't do it. God's going to say come here. Here is a righteous soul that was in the same situation you was in. And they went through it. They are going to condemn me. Because they had the grace and the everything it took to go through it. So I can't look at that as a negative. I must look at that as a positive. And go on scriptures that says he will never put nothing on me that I can't bear. And God will give me the strength and the hope and the everything I need to go through the storms that ever come before me. So he takes and he, and he does this. The Bible, even Peter, described him as a preacher of righteousness. Now, in the Old Testament or the New, that's the only place in Scripture that he is called a preacher of righteousness simply because he believed God and took him at his word. The Bible says the Holy Ghost anointed Peter to call him a preacher of righteousness simply because he took God at his word. And I'm telling you, I, I, and I believe Scripture, there's situations, true accounts in the Bible that, give, that can give us inspiration. Because I don't know if you can really, really and truly relate to the task that Noah had. Because if there was a life-size a life replica of this, you would see the overwhelming task. Now, I'm telling you, with all the tools and the knowledge and the calculators that we have now, I wouldn't even want to attempt that this day. But God told Noah in his day to build this ark, 450 foot long, 75 foot wide, 40, 45 foot tall, Pitch it within, seal it within and without. That has implications to us. And he says, I'll be back in 120 years. And by that time, this baby's going to need to float because you're going you're gonna to need to be in it. It is an overwhelming task. But he accomplished it. And I believe we must apply situations like that to us. When we, fan, when we stand and, and, and there are situations that hit us that knock us literally to our knees, remember situations like this in the Bible 
when God told his people, and it wasn't just this ark, it was a whole human race that was resting on Noah's shoulders. If you, if you stop now, the human race dies with you, Noah. So it's like, we've been coming here a long time. If I'd have turned and walked away a long time ago, who would I took with me? Who would have I took with me? And if Noah would have said, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. And if God could have just showed him down the road, Noah, there is no race without you. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You must stay. You must get up and build. I don't care how many people walk by, make fun of you. You have took me at my word. Now, don't let humanity defer you from what you believe in your heart. What you know is truth. You've got to stay in what you know to be truth. And at times you get up and you build and you, you just work and toll till your hands are bloody and you never see a cloud in the sky. You just get up tomorrow and you tape them fingers and you go back to work. Because I promise you, the rain is coming. The rain is coming. So he took and he did this. And, and I'll just tell you one more thing before I move on. As just a side note, one thing God did, the Bible says he put Noah in the ark. The Bible says, the, the scripture, this, is, this was their attitude. Remember, this was a chronicle of their time. This is what Noah had to put up with. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day. That Noah entered the ark until the day, until the day, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Look at that two ways. They never quit, but neither did Noah. Because God put Noah in seven days before the flood. Now, it makes a reference to Noah. It makes a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah referring to Lot. You read the account of Lot. The angel literally had to take Lot by the hand. And you read on down a little bit. And the angel literally told Lot, I cannot do anything until you're out of here. That's Bible. I'm telling you. God's going to take care of his. I cannot do anything. Get out of this place. I'm fixing to get with it. and You don't want to be here. And not only that, it ain't happening until you leave. So now, I don't really think, nor should we think, that Noah's preaching. Ever how his ministering was, I don't know. I'll just be honest with you enough to tell you I don't know. 
and ever, ever how that happened. One thing I believe about God, he is merciful. So ever how the communication went, I believe that God did it, or Noah did it according to God's instructions. I believe he preached with all of his might, ever how that preaching went forth. But he did that. He did that. He did it. Now, the Bible says it in 1 Peter 3.19. This is also what the Bible says. By which, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, was saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, for in few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So while it was taken, while Noah was building the ark, God was waiting and he was let, that was the patience of God. While the ark was preparing, God gave everyone that wanted a chance. Noah wasn't building that for just for his few and no more. It was for everyone that would take advantage of that. And I, I, I don't know, but, but this I do know. This I do know according to God's word. The Bible says when God shut the door and the door was shut seven days before the first drop of water. Once the door was shut, grace was over. That I do know. Also, <clears throat> it speaks of baptism where literally we speak other words. And, you, you know, I've heard. A little bit, not much, but I've heard and read a little bit of people where they speak of baptism and, and make very light of it. Like baptism is just, it's an option. You can do it if you want to. But the, the apostle was saying, baptism doth also now save us. And he says, not the putting away of filth of the flesh. And that's just a simple, I just say it a simple way. Baptism is not taking a bath. You're not cleaning your flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's doing what we have been commanded to do. That's what we're doing. And just to say that it is an option is not. That we're, we're not just trying to make this harder than it is. All we are doing is just trying to follow God's commands. We're not trying to put anything on anybody that shouldn't be there. You know, this is not our doctrine. We're trying to follow God's doctrine and do everything according to him. We're not trying to do this and just make it an option. It's not an option. The water literally drowned those and saved Noah at the same time. That's what happened. That's why Peter told him, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost that has been said so many times but the one thing that it is saying if I have forgiveness 
of my sins, it will be in the name of Jesus. That is what the Bible teaches. Now, sin is not matter, it's just not a matter of the flesh, but it's a matter of the spirit and the flesh. Devout Jews was Im- would immerse themselves daily. They had this cleansing. Many other washings was inherent to Judaism, but Christian baptism was not in this category. It was not in this category. This was not just a, a mere ceremony that they went through. This was not just an external cleansing, so to speak. Baptism is not just a ritual, but the Bible says it is the answer of a good conscience towards God. In other words, everything that God had commanded Noah to do, and it is, I just have no other word but overwhelming, to build the ark, to load all the animals, and when God shut the door, I believe Noah could say within himself, he had done everything God had commanded him to do. So when whatever happened, ever how rough it got, God saved Noah and his family. And I believe that Noah had the faith to believe God was going to do it. Even though it still had to seem awful strange. But the Bible said he found grace. He trusted God. So when it come up to this time, he still had to trust God because not only had the world not seen a flood, Noah had never seen a flood. So he's building an ark, and he's in the same, and I hate to say it, but he's in the same boat they are. He had never seen a flood either. But so the Bible says <clears throat> the meaning of baptism, we are united with Christ in his death, burial, resurrection. The Bible says we are literally baptized into Christ. The doctrine of baptism is one of the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, when you hear, when we quote it so, so often, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but literally, I guess if you look and read, I have a tendency to believe that it should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But when you read the Bible, I know there's scriptures like Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. But Esau was the firstborn. And when you read of this and you read of the story where Esau comes home and for this one meal, so to speak, he sells his birthright. And when you take and every right that comes with that name and that birth and you're willing to give it up, why would you do that? Why would that mean so little to you? And this is the way I look at it in our day. The Bible says, and I just read it, if we have forgiveness of our sins, it will be through the name of Jesus. And if you sell your birthright, 
you, that's why I call her all the time. The name and our oneness. That is our birthright. We are tried all the time. We are, the world says we will do everything we can to satisfy your flesh if you'll give up your birthright. Or they can keep walking. I will not give up my birthright. My birthright, all the rights that come with it, the devils in hell knows my father. And they will bow and kneel and give authority to that name. So why under heaven would I give this world that their thoughts is only evil continually my birthright? Because you read of Esau, he sought with repentance. And the Bible says he never found it. I'm not saying you can't find it again. I'm just, I'm just quoting you from the Bible. But what I'm saying, we are nailed and pushed and prodded on every hand. Lower your standards. Give up your doctrine. Give in. You, you don't have to do that. I don't understand why you do this. Give in. Give up. Let up. Hold your birthright. That is our hope, our strength with everything. And, and here is another story for one morsel just to satisfy his flesh. What is this? What profit, he said, would this birthright do me? Really? It's like some spoiled, pardon me, some spoiled brat that's born into a family that has so much wealth and privilege. And their parents are trying to tell them, you don't understand at what is at your fingertips. I don't, I don't, I have nothing against families of wealth that has pleaded with their children. You don't understand the opportunity that's been given to you and to squander it away. And why would I that has been exposed to such a privileged and promised revelation give up my birthright nope nope I don't want to do it I don't want to do it in 2 Peter 2 and 5 the world refers to people who perish in the flood and the scripture describes them as ungodly which means they had no time whatsoever for God and when you read that in context it was all about me let me take care of me Noah Build your boat, baby. We ain't got no time for you. We don't have no time for you. Even though seven of the people who was delivered just represented a minority of the population, God did not overlook them in this crowd. So don't let yourself be overwhelmed. I'm telling you, God made it a universal rule from the beginning. Darkness can never, ever overcome light. Never. That will never happen. Refer to that always as spiritual as well as the natural. So when we, in, in spiritual, don't never think that I'm just a light 
I'm just a small light and just overwhelmed by so much darkness. Do not. Read of Noah. I'm telling you, read of Noah and get hope from it. God never forgot him. Here is a man that has a whole lineage of people that God said, I'm taking, but I'm saving this righteous man. Literally, it's Bible. We shouldn't look at it as just a story. It happened. Now, Noah and Lot provides hope for the church. It is. It is examples. It's we can continue to be faithful to God, to trust God for what has happened. Now, that it shows us that even while we're living, literally, it may be even in disaster, that most people, it's not even, they don't even care some about what's the judgment that's coming. And it's not that we want to overwhelm. It is like God, when he looked at his disciples, he says, I have foretold you this, so when this happens, you would know. Some people has the, the attitude, no news is good news. So when it comes to Bible, to Scripture, if I don't have to hear it, then I don't have to worry about it. But that's the reason God shares and plants stuff in our heart is for one purpose, is to help us. And I'm telling you, when, when your world in this, most of us, and I'm sure you know and understand too, when your world is turned upside down, that is when God can really share some revelation with you. Because it is true, I'm telling you, it is. Because if we, if when life hurts the worst, if we will take and stay sensitive to what God wants to do with us, then that's when God can take and work on us and share information with us and, and events and revelation. And there's one story here I want to end with, and it's not too lengthy, but... It's about of a man that Harold Camping was his name. He, the Bible says, you know, you should never predict a date. And and I will just I will just tell you this: the Lord, you know, this is not one thing I've never wanted to get caught up in. I am a numbers man, but one thing I have never ever had a desire to do is try to figure out a date when the Lord is coming. I believe God can give us wisdom to know the season, but we should never try to pin the, you know, like May the 13th, so-and-so, you know. Um, but I believe God can give us wisdom to know the season. And, you know, it's like, it's where the Bible says, you know, in the last days, well, the last days has been since Acts. Acts started the last days. So we've been in the last days for a long time. But this man, Harold Camping, it tells a story. He prophesied the end of the world. Um, he was a biblical man twice. 
2011. But he died um, recently. And he, I, I won't tell what radio network he was in, but he was a lifelong student of the Bible. He had a vast um, assemblage of numbers with his family for numerology and became preoccupied with what he regarded as the greatest calculation of them all. The mystery of what the scriptures might reveal is the date of the apocalypse. The end, he said, would come on May 21st, 2011. The date was based on a complex formula involving the biblical flood of Noah and what Mr. Camping said was 4,990 B.C., a 7,000-year clock began clicking from that moment and subtraction of one year because of a difference of the Old Testament and New Testament calendars. Mr. Camping, a thin man and a baritone radio voice, relentlessly promoted the date and its fateful consequences more than two years on its Lister-supported network. 5,000 billboards, countless books and pamphlets translated into 75 languages. To pay for it all, he raised tens of millions of dollars from listeners. As the day closed in, there was an avalanche of publicity. Mr. Camping estimated that seven billion would die. The followers spoke of settling their affairs and spending their final days with the loved ones. With nothing happening on May 21st, legions of believers professed astonishment and disappointment. Mr. Camping said he was flabbergasted at his predictions had not materialized. After a few days in seclusion to figure out what had gone wrong, he announced new conclusions. Basically, that God had quietly completed Judgment Day on May 21st and closed the books in heaven, and that he had recalibrated the end of times date five months later on October the 21st. Nothing happened on October the 21st, five months later. In a letter to his followers on his ministry's website in March 2012, Mr. Camping not only apologized for getting it wrong, but acknowledged that he had no new evidence pointing to another date for the end of the world and no interest in even considering another date. But he found a silver lining in the confusion, noting that his incorrect and sinful statement allowed God to get the attention of a great many people who otherwise wouldn't have paid no attention at all. Now, he was one of over the past 2,000 years who had set dates for the second coming to the faithful the biblical message of Christ's return, we must abandon efforts to know something that Jesus said cannot be known. Instead, we must watch and pray for the preparation of his return. He told his followers that he was coming again. Now, that's one thing that he literally said. He told Noah, he said, there's a rain coming. He said, prepare for it. This is what you have to do. Now, we have said that the Bible states this. There, With us, in our case, we have so many more promises, so many more prophecies that we have to go on, that we have seen fulfilled that has come to pass. So 
we're not, I mean, we have a lot more to go on than what they had. So it ought to be very easy for us. Now, the people that was following Mr. Camping, I don't know, and I'm trying not to throw rocks, but I don't know if, if they would have read the Bible where you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't make this proclamation, you shouldn't believe no man knows the hour of the day. They could have saved themselves a whole lot of time and turmoil of the people that sold their houses and their lands and put their trust. And look what that did to them in regard to the ministry. They was totally led astray. And regardless of what his efforts was, Jesus is coming again. I don't care what he done or what negativity he put on it. That has no effect on me. God's coming again. If everybody sets a date from now on, or as what I said to start with, what they consider normal has no effect. There is a structure and there is a purpose for the church. And just as Noah, we get up, we go to work, and we do it. Now... I will leave you with this last thing. The Bible talks about, in the Old Testament, I never mentioned the Old Testament, so I'll leave this. As a priest, I'll leave this analogy with you. As a priest went in to do the sacrifice, he sacrificed at the burnt offering, then there was a laver where he washed, and then he went into the, to the Holy of Holies. Okay. Here, oddly enough, it gives a description of the, of the burnt offering altar. The laver in the tabernacle, it really, I can't find it if it gives a dimension for that. In the one in Solomon's temple, it may give dimensions. But as far as the tabernacle, I can't find a dimension. But it gives it a dimension for when the priest went in the holy place where the ark was. But here's the analogy that I want to draw. When the priest was at the burnt offering, you know, a square foot, 12 inches by 12 inches, the burnt offering was 56 and a quarter square foot. When he went into the holy place, it was only eight and a half square foot. And a lot of times, we want to reverse that. <laughs> we only want eight square foot of sacrifice and 56 square foot of holy place. But look at it how it was. There had to be, there was 56 foot, the place for the sacrifice. And when you went in to the, to the holy place, eight square foot is all it was where God met with his people. We can't reverse that. 
There is a sacrifice that has to be made. There is a sacrifice. God will reward us. We are always rewarded. And just as Noah, and just as it was in the days of Noah and Lot, we will be rewarded. So let's stand if you would. Hallelujah. Let's pray one more time. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are coming again. We ask you, holy God, to be with us each and every one, to hide this word in our heart. We believe you, God. We believe that you are soon to come again. Father, we want to be ready. We want to be made ready, Lord God. Touch us this day, God. Strengthen us, Lord God. Thank you for your goodness and your holy word this day. The holy name of Jesus, we pray. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.